0: Is it on? There we go. There we go. All right, everybody. Good to see you. Sorry to just quickly abrupt your conversations. We'll uh, let you pick those back up here in, in a little bit after after we finish our service this morning. We're going to everybody make their way back to their seats. I love a church that... Uh, Loves people. It loves each other. It's good. It's a good feel. It's a good vibe. It's, uh, it's right. It's kingdom. So, Alright, well listen, let me invite you to open up the Word of God with me this morning to Old Testament Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We've been hanging out around these parts for the last couple of weeks. We were in Ezra a couple of weeks ago. Last week we were in Ezekiel today Nehemiah, and they all kind of all revolve around the same type of thing, and that is the children of Israel coming out of Babylonian captivity and going back into the promised land, going back into their their place, their land, the land that God gave them, and, and revolves around some themes that, that are pertinent to, to not only at their time, but certainly to us today, and how important it is for our faith in Jesus Christ and how what happens in these stories actually take place in our life today as we are believers under the grace of God in the New Testament. Nehemiah chapter one going to be here. These, a few of these verses at the beginning will be on the screen with you today. And uh, so let's, let's open this up and look at this and then um, I'll tell you what I'm going to be talking about. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, he says, in late autumn, or in other words, fall. Not too many of us use the word autumn, a few do, but fall, it's this time frame. Can you believe it's fall? I know the weather hasn't completely turned over uh, to the season that it, that, it, that it is, but it is that time, we, it, October the 2nd, today, the fourth quarter of 2016, Nine months have gone. We're in the 10th month. We're in a new season. And this is where they found themselves in a new season. In late fall, it says, In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, he said, Nehemiah said, I was at the fortress of Susa. Verse 2. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And he said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned. Other translations, some of your translations might say, I ask them about the remnant of people who returned. Can you say remnant? Remnant. I ask them about the remnant of people who returned from captivity in Babylon and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Ask them how were the people, how were the remnant people. Remnant are those who, who survived, those who are remaining, those who are in a, in a in more or less way... Those who are set apart, who, uh, and that's where they found themselves. There's always a remnant in every generation. There's always a, a always a pocket of people in every generation that has ever lived and that will live that are set aside in a way that are completely and wholly dedicated to the things of God. In a time and a day where there are large groups of people on this earth there are a lot of groups of people who are not dedicated to the Lord there's a lot of people in churches who aren't really dedicated to the Lord and that's between the the Lord and people but the reality is when we have opportunity to to be together worship together and sit under the word together then the question is asked just like Nehemiah asked he said how are things going I think that's a question we all get most days But our answers are not always that honest, probably. Most of the time we ask, someone asks, hey, how you doing? We're not thinking about really everything. And what's the quick answer? Good, right? I'm good. Good. I'm good. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. I don't, you know, we don't want to really get into it. We don't want to be Debbie Downer. If your name's Debbie, no no offense, but we don't want to be that. You know, Some people are like that, but most general times, that's not the way it is. So we just say we're good, right? We don't really want to get into our issues. We don't really get into our problems. And so we don't really take the time to really look at what's going on. And that's the question he was asking. Nehemiah was asking an honest question, trying to get an honest answer. And I know most of the time when we ask someone, ask someone, hey, how are you? We don't really mean it. We don't really want to hear their problem most of the time. Why? Because we got our own problems, and we got our own issues. We got our own thoughts going on. We got our own sets of ideologies and issues and things that are happening in our own world. And so we're trying to just kind of get through that. And so, but Nehemiah was different. He was asking honestly because he wanted an honest answer. He said, "So how are things going?" In verse three, their answer they said they didn't say we're good. They didn't say, we're fine, thank you very much. What did they say? They said, things are not going well. Now when you get that answer from someone, or you give that answer to someone, you've really just stepped across the line. And you really began to open up. Or vice versa, when it happens to you and someone does that to you and says, things are not going well, well, then you got to make a decision. Am I going to really sit here and listen? Am I going to pretend to listen, pretend to care, or am I really going to be there for them? Am I really going to be intentional about what's happening? And we know throughout the teachings of the New Testament we're told to you know, do that for one another, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so they said, things are not going well for the remnant, for those who returned. And Here's why they're not going well, he said. He said, they are in great trouble and disgrace, other translations might say they're in affliction and reproach. They're not doing well. Why? Why are they in trouble? Why are they in disgrace? Why are things not well for them? Conversation. And he, they say this they say the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What's the big deal? Well, pr- walls in that day and time, they were protectors. They were protectors to defend from the enemy. But they were also boundary markers, stating that behind these walls live a certain group of people. But then he didn't just stop with the walls. He said the gates. He said the gates have been destroyed by fire. Gates represented on those walls, they represented the in and out of life. They would come in, they would go out, they would come in, they would go out your doors of your house, so to speak. They they represented, these gates represented the ins and out of life. In other words, the thing, the picture here that Nehemiah understands, and that the group this group of people uh, they lived with this understanding, and that is the walls representing protection, and the gates representing purpose. So their protection was down, and their purpose was being destroyed. Let's look at what happened. Nehemiah verse 4. What did he do? He said, I heard this, I sat down, and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Let's look over in chapter 2. It goes through his prayer there chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse, verse 5. He says a prayer, and then here's, here's what else he did. He responds to the king. And he said, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, send me there to my people, send me there to rebuild. Can you say rebuild? Can you send me there to rebuild the city where my ancestors were buried? So here's what happened. Nehemiah asked, "How are things going?" He got an honest answer: things are not going well. Their protection is down, and their purpose is being destroyed. Nehemiah was wounded by that. It was his people. He said, "I have to do something." The first thing he did was he sat down. He wept. He mourned. Mourned for those who were hurting. Mourned for those who were susceptible. He mourned for his people. But then he prayed, and in his prayer he asked for forgiveness. In other words, I'm going to get my heart right, and on behalf of the people that are there, I'm going to pray that God would see their hearts too, and that their hearts would be right before God. But I'm not going to just stop at praying, then I'm going to go and I'm going to do something. These people need somebody to lead them right now. And he says, I need to go, and I need to go to rebuild. I need to go to repair What has been broken, what has been torn, and what has been destroyed. So I gotta go. So his prayer, his humility led to his prayer, and his prayer led to his repentance. Real true repentance always, always leads to action good action, rebuilding action repairing action. When you and I are truly repentive of anything we've ever done, it should lead us to act, to rebuild, and to repair what has been broken, what has been damaged, what has been torn, what has been burned down, so to speak. So that's where he found himself. And then, so he got permission, look on down, verse 11. Just kind of setting this up Verse 11, he says, so I arrived in Jerusalem. He went there. He got there. Three days later, here's what he did. I slipped out during the night, taking out only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding. Verse 13, after dark, I went out through the valley gate... Past the jackal's well and over to the dung gate. Yeah, dung gate. That's exactly what that is. To inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Went out to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Verse 14. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. And, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble, so... Though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley, and instead, I was I, ins- I was inspecting the wall before I returned back and entered again at the valley gate. So Nehemiah humbled himself, prayed, repented, acted. Then, in his action, he surveyed, he inspected the damage. In other words, he was not too quick to make. conclusion on the matter without first going there gosh this story speaks to so many things speaks to so many things in our day and time today but here's one of the things I want to stop in on and settle in on for, for, for today and that is the actual part of repairing and rebuilding and what the what he did he helped to repair and rebuild two things the walls and the gates And what this signifies, what this really, really, really means. But before he could do any of that, he had to inspect, he had to see what is the condition. What's the condition of the land? What's the condition of the people? What is the condition of the actual city, the walls and the gates? And so... Back in Ezra, a couple of weeks ago, we we brought up Ezra and talked about that. One big thing we talked about was how Ezra showcased how God's gracious hand was upon his life. Remember that message if you were here? How God's gracious hand was upon his life. And it even carries over under Nehemiah's leadership as well. But what was happening that that Ezra was describing was the rebuilding of the temple. The temple is this, just in short form... The temple is is the communication, the symbol that that God's presence was in the middle of their life. God's presence was in the middle of their life. And then last week we we, we were over in, in Ezekiel. It was a different time. It was actually before Ezra and Nehemiah, but around the same notion of the people of God coming from Babylonian captivity one day and he was prophesying that they would in Ezekiel 37 the valley of dry bones in other words that whole scenario was this it was that God's purpose and God's presence would be restored back into the hearts of his people kind of reminds us of where we are today in our life so many people so over seven billion people on the planet but one thing God wants to do is inhabit the hearts of humanity. Why? Because He loves us. Friend, if you can understand that God loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt, regardless of your shortcomings and your past, regardless of your faults or your addictions, regardless of your sins and regardless of your mistakes, regardless of anything... That has ever been passed down to you, and anything you've chosen to do or not do, God's love is real and He loves you. And God wants to move in your life because He created you and He gave you a purpose for which to live on this planet a purpose that would honor Him, a purpose that would glorify Him, and a purpose, yes, that would even be fulfilling in your own life. God wants you and I fulfilled on this planet. And so Nehemiah obviously understood that. And so here he found himself seeing what was going on. And then look on down, verse 17. He inspected and he saw the condition. And he said, but now, he said, I I said to the folks around me, he said, you know very well what trouble we are in. You know the condition of of our situation. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And here's here's where it gets really interesting. He said, let us rebuild. I love the plurality of this story that Nehemiah gives and leads with. He understood that if anything is ever going to be done differently and anything is ever going to be changed, it really does require us. Sure, there was an instigator. Sure, there was a leader. But for it to truly be taken in ownership and for it to really be done with, with goodness and greatness and faithfulness and life transformation and generational change, then it required us. I love that story, right, tucked away in the Old Testament, giving the description this that you and I can't do God in church all by ourselves, that it requires and we are in need of a true faith community to truly love God, serve God and be faithful to God it's an us thing it's an us thing that it takes us together and so he said let us rebuild and their response verse 18 they said yes let's rebuild, let's do this let's do this and they got to work right away so here's what they did Nehemiah Asked an honest question, got an honest answer, was heartbroken. Wept, prayed, asked for forgiveness, repented, acted, went there, inspected it. Talked to the people, told them, We got to do something about this. This can't stay. Life can't stay like this. Things can't stay like this. We need to rise up, people of God. Things have to be different. We have to be better than the mess around us. We have to be stronger than the mess within us. We have to be love in the midst of hate. We have to be light in the midst of darkness. And he called them together and said, Let us do something. Let us rebuild and let's make a statement to the peoples around us, to the nations around us, to the groups around us, that we are different, that we really do have a relationship with God, and it affects us on the inside. said, let us rebuild. And they said, yeah. So they made a commitment. They reinforced their commitment for the Lord. And then, what happened? Verse 19. But then, when Sambal at Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. And they said, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And so here's the thing. Anytime you and I ever reinforce our commitment to the Lord, the enemy will come to mess with you. I mean, think about it. Anytime you've ever... You've ever prayed to God and told the Lord, God, I'm serious this time. I'm for real. I'm going to up my ante. I'm going to be more committed. I'm going to be more in love with you. I'm going to be more devoted. I'm going to read your word more. I'm going to be in church more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to love more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to be more. And then bam, 48 hours later, the devil shows up and train wrecks your house. And you're like, chaos. You're in a mess. Your boss calls you in and chews you out. Your kids wake up cranky on the wrong side of the bed for three weeks in a row and you're like, I don't get it. What's wrong? What's wrong with you? You lose your cool, you lose your temper. You get an unexpected medical bill that you'd ever thought was happening and it boom, it blows up $1,500 due in 12 days. Man, I just decided I was going to give more. And look what happened. That's what happens when God's people... Reinforce their commitment to the Lord. The enemy does not want you to do that, so he will throw everything he can at you. The things that he knows have gotten under your skin before and have pushed your buttons before, that is what he will do again until you decide, come hell or high water, no matter what you do, I will still do what I'm called to do. Amen? You'll never get over that cycle. You'll never get over that thing. You'll never get over that issue. Every time you make a commitment pray to the Lord and repent to God and cry and snot and sob and raise your hands and all, all that stuff and get sincere in your heart and humility falls on you and all these things, the enemy takes note of that because he doesn't want the people of God to rise up and do anything good for the kingdom of God. But what was their, what, their, what was their answer? Nehemiah. He said, I replied. He said, I replied. He said, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Verse 20. We, his servants, togetherness, together, we, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, no legal right, no historic claim in Jerusalem. In other words, enemy, you're trespassing. You don't belong in my house. No, I, You don't have any right to be in my household. You don't have any right to be in my church. You don't have any right to be in my Bible study. You don't have any right to be up in my face. You don't have any legal jurisdiction to be over here. Why? Because I am blood bought. I am sanctified. I belong to the Lord. My life is not my own. Jesus paid the price. And my life belongs to him. And so, enemy, God has called me, and I have made a commitment. And I know you push me, you pull me, you prod me, you tempt me, you jack with me, you mess with me. But here's the reality as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what God has for me, I'm not going to give you any ground. I'm not going to give you an inch because I know you'll take a mile. I'm not going to give you an opportunity to enter my house in any circumstance because when you do, you always bring chaos and confusion. And so Nehemiah stood up, he stated his claim, and he said, we will do what God has called us. We will do what we need to do. So Ezra dealt with the rebuilding of the temple. He described that, meaning God's presence was center of their life. Ezekiel talking about and prophesying, one day God will restore His purpose and His presence in the heart of His people. And Nehemiah said, here's, the, here's, here's where it gets real tricky is we can't be okay with just being okay we have to this stuff that's going on has to bother us this thing where the walls are broken and the gates are destroyed they have to make us uncomfortable to the point where we will do something about it and that is we'll stay true to our God no matter what is going on and so chapter 3 is where it gets good. Chapter 3 is where it gets good. Let's look at this picture. Today I want to talk to you about, I'm just going to get started on it. I'm not going to finish it unless you guys want to stay here till way after lunchtime. But we'll pick it up next time. But today I want to talk to you about this. Remnants, repairs, and rebuilders remnants repairs and rebuilders chapter 3 is so cool chapter 3 is so unique chapter 3 of this story is so powerful let me just say a quick prayer and Jake can get down his fingers can get a break let's pray God thank you for today thank you for your word I pray today you would help make it clear to us help us understand it God help us to receive it And, Lord, help us to really be right in the middle of what you have for our life and not be scared, not be fearful, not be intimidated by the enemy of any kind, of any tactic that he has. And, Lord, let us not be overcome by our flesh, but let us rise up and be the people you've called us to be. Teach us that today. Help us to know that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jake. let you break, man. Jake, break. What <laughs> time is it? 11.34. Okay, I got about 15, 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. All right, here's the unique thing about this. That, is, that was Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. And that's what... That, that line all the way around is a wall, and, and those little equal-looking point drawing lines are gates... There's ten, there were ten gates that went around this city. And these gates serve a purpose. These gates have a purpose. Everything that God does has a purpose. Okay, We might not get it at the time, understand it at the time, but He'll, he'll reveal it eventually to us. And so every gate has a purpose. The very top in the very center uh, to the right, in this uh, top, is, it's got 3.1. That means chapter 3, verse 1, okay? ...and it's called the Sheep Gate. And here's the deal. This whole, this whole chapter lays it out like this. If you read it all the way through, you'll, you'll see... ...that it has descriptions of people... ...where they're from, what they're doing... ...where they're working at along this wall. And it says that after him, or before them... ...or next to them, or next to him... ...and it begins to name names. And so it gives this beautiful picture... ...of teamwork. It gives this beautiful picture of all these different people. you got people who were kind of uh, not real civilized in what they did... ...and you got people who were perfume makers... ...and you got people who were goldsmiths and blacksmiths... ...and all you got these different types of people that, that are God's people... ...and they're working together to do this one thing... ...and that is to rebuild and to repair the walls and the gates. The walls have been torn down, their protection, and the gates that have been destroyed by fire here. Now, what's it protecting? What are these walls protecting? These walls are protecting not only the people, but you see right in the center, it says temple. Right in the center, it says temple. That, right in the center of their life, God's presence. Right in the center, where do we typically say God enters our life? In our heart. And we point here, it's typically what we're saying, the center of our life, our soul is the center of us. And it's protecting the center of their life, God, in their life. Protecting not not just to keep something out, but to preserve what is within. So you and I have a responsibility to protect our life and to keep and to preserve what is within us and hopefully within us, is God Himself, the presence of Him, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So the temple, protecting and preserving what is within, but then also repairing and rebuilding all the gates that function and serve as, that give purpose to their, to their life. Each of these gates serve a purpose. We're going to look at a, a, just a couple of these today. The first one is chapter 3, verse 1, the sheep gate. It says this, Then Eliashib of the high priest, the priest and the high priest, they started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. Now, what was the natural purpose of the Sheep Gate? The natural purpose of the Sheep Gate for these people was this. Was that that is where the priests would bring in the sheep and the lambs to bring them in to, to prepare them for sacrifice. It's what it was for. It was, that's, that was what went in and out right there the priest and the sheep and the lambs, that they would be the sacrifice. Let's, let's look at something. I'm going to draw your attention to something. Write these down if you're taking notes. John 10, verse 7, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. John ten nine. he said, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in and through me, ...will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the sheep gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They can come in and go freely through me... ...and they will have good pasture. Their life, they will feed on the good things that their soul needs. And so, this sheep gate, naturally speaking, that's what it was for. The priest would bring the sheep through, prepare them for the sacrifice... Spiritually speaking to you and I, is Jesus being the gate in our life? So the question is, how strong is your sheep gate in your life? How strong is your salvation in Christ Jesus? How sure, how confident are you that you are saved? I know there's some days where we don't feel like it. We done messed up, we done let stuff get to us, and I get that. But how strong is your sheep gate? How strong is Jesus in you? And the interesting thing about this story and this picture is it starts with the sheep gate, and the very last verse of Nehemiah 3, verse 32, it ends with the sheep gate. It said, the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner, the top right corner, to the sheep gate. So what does that tell us? It tells us this. Is that Jesus is, as the Bible describes, He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and He is the last. It started with the Sheep Gate repairing it and rebuilding it, and it finished with the Sheep Gate being repaired and being rebuilt because it was not completed until it started at the Sheep Gate and went all the way around and came full circle back to the Sheep Gate. Jesus is first and last, beginning and end, Alpha and Omega in our life. So what does that that mean for us? It means this, that not only does our life start in Jesus Christ, but it continues in Jesus Christ and it finishes in Jesus Christ. So therefore, our entire life should be built around, sustained with, supported by, and traveled through Jesus. Meaning what Jesus says should be the thing that should come out in our life, right? What Jesus demonstrated should come out of a believer's life. The way Jesus said to live up should be the way we should live, right? So the the question still stands, how strong is Jesus? your sheep gate. How strong is Jesus in our life? He's a continuation that not only do we start there but we continue through traveling through Christ Jesus, finishing with Christ Jesus that when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found in Christ on Christ the solid a rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking, saying, How strong is Jesus in your life? Is he just a figment of religion? Or is he really Lord and Savior? Is he someone you cry out to in a crisis moment? Or is he someone you aim to live for every day? Is he someone that you just pray to one time to, to call out on the name of the Lord and pray a salvation prayer, pray the sinner's prayer? And then from then on, you've just kind of he's just kind of been back back, 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 way back there. Or is he present in the center? You see, here's the thing. He wants to be present in the center. Because when a person lets Jesus be present in the center of their life, He is in control. Which is very good when He is in control. Because when Jesus is in control of my life, then He has a way of working things out for me when I trust Him when I rely upon Him. He doesn't just save us. That's the big, big picture, walking in, entry point. But He changes us. Changes things about us to become more like Him. Right? The sheep gate, how strong is the sheep gate in your life? Then the second, you go left, counterclockwise, chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Then the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah, they laid a beam, set up its doors, installed its bolts and its doors. The fish gate. The fish gate, that is simply this, where the fishermen brought in their catches, what they caught. They would enter in through there. Okay? It would be kind of cool if our houses had all these different gates, these doors. Now, this door, kids, now, that's when you're nasty and dirty and muddy. You can't come through any other door, but with that door right there. I don't care how muddy you are, that's what that door's for. It can be caked on and caked on and caked on. It'll turn, it can be baked in the sun for four days, rain hard for three, and you can play out in it and come, but only come through that door when you were like that. Right? Don't you come through that other door on my white carpet or my clean floors. Right? Just come through that yeah, it'd be cool if we, had that, if we could have that many doors. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a mess, though. I mean, it's all the doors you've got to lock at night, all the doors you got to lock before you leave to go to work. Then if you got special locks and baby locks and all these other locks, and I mean, that's just a mess, right? Yeah, it might not be so good. It might not be so good. But that's what the fish gate was. That's where they brought in their catch, their fish. But here's, what, here's how it relates to you and I. Jesus, when he called his first disciples, Matthew 4, he said, hey, he talked to a bunch of fishermen. He said, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to become fishers of men. And that is really what his premise and his mission has always been, is to catch the hearts of humanity. And he uses people to do that. Surveys say, and I don't know how true this is, if everything on the internet is true, but... Surveys say that within the first two years of a person's salvation in Christ, they win more people to the Lord then than they do the rest of their life. I kind of tend to lean towards that philosophy. I don't like that. Sometimes, somehow you get saved and religion teaches you to be something different when we allow that to happen. It happens to us. It happens to all of us in different ways, whether we like it or not. Much, which is why we got to keep coming back to the center and making sure our life is any, is going through, Christ is going through, Jesus going through the Shepherd of our souls. And so the fish gate, Jesus, said, I'll teach you to become fishers of men, salvation, you get born again, man, you you just you start out loving everybody, right? I mean, you you, you love everybody. There wasn't a person you don't love when you first get saved. Why? Because real love changes you, right? But over time, we, we forget that, and something happens, and things, I don't know, just life happens sometimes like that, and that's why we've got to have repair moments. we got to have rebuilding moments. You following where I'm going with this? Because we forget what we're supposed to be doing with our life. We're supposed to be winning people to Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be telling other people about Jesus. That is why your testimony is so awesome, so real, so powerful, because it's yours. Jesus gave you that story. Jesus did that story in your life. That we should be, yes, we should be telling people about Jesus. Not because we're we're trying to control this world, but because we love this world. Because we love people, love should be the thing that should be flowing out of our lives. Now, I know that is not the only thing that's always flowing out of our life. Because we might be saved, but we hadn't quite got sanctified in some areas yet. Right? But think about it. How else are people going to get saved? if they don't ever hear. How else will a life be filled with hope unless they hear how hope filled your life? Right? Paul wrote in Romans, he said, hey, how can they hear if if no one is sent? By the time you get to Acts chapter 6, the church is growing so fast and so quick, and so many people. They started out in Acts 1 and 2 with 120 people, went to 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, and then from there, chapters 4, 5, and 6, it starts to describe that the church, people got getting saved, grew rapidly, and the church began to increase pretty quickly. And it said in chapter 6, it said the message of the gospel was being spread. In other words, Christians, believers, were telling other people... ...about salvation in God through Christ Jesus... ...and how it changed their life... ...how it revolutionized them... ...how it completely affected them. And that's what Jesus does. He changes us. I don't know about you, but there are parts of me I don't like. And I'm not talking about external stuff. I'm talking about ugly stuff inside my heart. Anybody ever have a bad thought into their mind... Do you just like having bad thoughts in your mind? Not any normal sane person does. How does that change? Jesus being the center, Letting Jesus dominate more of our heart. In other words, letting Him be Lord of things where we have once been Lord of. Right? But this fish gate, it speaks to us being evangelistic in our faith. Being an evangelist is not just reserved for a church leader. It is for the church itself to be evangelistic. And I don't mean we got to be goofy and crazy, weird. To tell somebody about Jesus, we just be authentic and humble and sincere and just love and share that love. How strong is your evangelism. I know for me, I want mine to be bigger. I want mine to be stronger. I want me to have more courage, me to have more boldness, me to have more faith, me to have more power of the Holy Spirit, me to have more confidence of God, to tell other people, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to tell you about somebody. His name is Jesus. Anybody else want to be like that? Anybody else want to have more courage, more faith, more confidence, walk up to people? Man, I had coffee with a member this week of our church talking about the Lord, just talking about what God is doing in our life. And he's like, man, I've met a guy who... We were at a coffee shop at Starbucks, and he's like, I met a guy who worked here, and he said, he has break in a little while, and I'm going to hang out and talk to him some more about the Lord. Anyway, he, had a, he invited him over to our table, and... He's like, the Lord just said, I need to invite you over to our table. And, and, and I met the guy, and, and he was like, I don't know what else to do right now. Other than I, was just, I just felt like I was supposed to bring you over here. Talking about the guy from Starbucks, and we're all sitting at the table. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I start talking to the guy, ask him a few questions, and the, and the Holy Spirit gave me uh, a, a prophetic word for him, and I just started encouraging him in the Lord. He was already a believer, but it was one of those moments in his life, a season in his life where he needed some hope, where he needed to know, is God's hand still on my life? Is God's hand still on my life? Man, it takes courage to do that kind of thing. Some of you might find it a whole lot easier than I do, but I I don't wake up thinking I need to go tell 100 people about Christ today. Because that ain't how I'm wired. Naturally, but spiritually... We all are wired that way. How else will they hear unless they are told, right? I mean, come on, Matthew 28, the last famous words of Christ, the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given to me. I mean, he, just, he, was, he was crucified, he rose from the dead, and he was about to ascend to heaven, and, and, and that was a long time ago, and the last words he said to his disciples, he said, hey, and he tells you and I today, he says, hey, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to tell people about me. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I, want you to teach you, te- I want you to teach them how to follow me and obey me. And here's the thing. I will be with you all the way to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus might have left physically, but he came by his spirit here. It's called the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll be with you. Can you imagine you and you and you and you and you telling people about Christ, they accept Christ, and you say, hey, you've been baptized, you want to get baptized? You take them somewhere and you get them baptized. You don't have to do it here on a baptism Sunday. Think about if our lives got that kind of transformation happening. Think about if we were so pumped up and so in love with Christ that, man, we would tell people about Him and we would use our story to do it. Your story is worth God's glory. Your story is worth God's glory. How you went through what you went through, how you were trampled upon, how you were destitute, how you were desolate, how you were forgotten, and how God in His infinite wisdom and His, His, His love His love, reached down and saved you and, and just touched you and changed your life. And then you get to tell somebody else, hey, I once was like this, I once had this going on, I once was broken, I once was lost, I once had this happening in my life, and hey, how did you get there? Well, let me tell you, Jesus helped me. Jesus changed me. Jesus gave me peace. Jesus gave me love. Jesus gave me courage. Right, and your story is worth God's glory. Now he will use your story to help somebody else. How strong is your fish gate? Church, how strong is our fish gate? How strong are we at telling others about Christ? I think i got time for one more. You guys got time for one more gate? Then we'll finish, all right? We'll finish. Keep on going around. You turn the corner of that wall and you start to go downward. Chapter 3, verse 6 said, The old city gate was repaired. The old city gate was repaired. Now this one, is, they're all neat, but this one, this is perhaps what they say, it's old gate because it is the old gate. It's the oldest. The oldest. And they repaired it. What does that mean? I'd like to draw some direction from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 6. Listen to this. If you're writing notes, verse, chapter 6, verse 16. This is what Nehemiah says. Or excuse me, Jeremiah says. One of them, Maya boys. He said, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old, godly way, and then walk in it. I love that. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. sounds a whole lot like what Jesus says that Matthew records in Matthew 10 come to me all of you who are weary and heavy burdened and I'll give you rest for your souls oh but you gotta pick up my yoke caught you sleeping but you gotta pick up my yoke It's easy. My burden is light. In other words, what I have to give you is so much better for your life than what you have that you need to give me. Stop at the crossroads. Look around. Which way do I go? Things look appealing here and there, back there, up there, way over there. I mean, so many directions, so many pulls on my life. Ask for the old godly way. Mmm. Ask for that old godly way. And then walk in that path. And when you walk in that path, and you keep walking that path, you will find rest for your soul. In other words, what you've been looking for, you're going to find. What you've been afraid of, what you thought I was, about God, what you thought God was, what you think He might be, all that stuff, you're going to find real rest for your soul. In other words, God will work things out in you and He will work things out for you. And He will be your peace. He will be your guide. He will be your confidence. He will be your friend that sticks closer than a brother. Ask for that old godly way. And then walk in it. Now you see how long that wall is from the old gate down to the valley gate? See that? On the left hand side of that picture. See how long that is. Here's what happens. We get saved. We get born again. Tell somebody about Jesus. But then we got to start applying the old godly principles. When I use the word old, I don't mean outdated. Antique. I'm talking about old where you can't stomp it out. Where nothing can snuff it out. Where nothing can blow it out. Where nothing can mess it up. Where nothing can change it. I'm talking about old in the sense that it has been around and it's been around and it will continue to be around that nothing could ever change the old, godly way. And here's what has to happen. In our life as followers in Jesus, we have to apply the old, godly principles of His Word into our life, meaning we've got to have a strong foundation. And this is where many believers get messed up We get excited, we get saved, man, our hearts are burning. We love the Lord, we're excited. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. (laughs) Right? We go to every conference, we read every book, we pray 12 hours a day. Somebody slaps us, we love them back. Somebody cusses them, bless them. Somebody hating on us, we just don't even return a favor. We just say, bless you. But here's the thing. You start to go through stuff. Honeymoon is over. Real life settles in. Oh, that's what you like. I didn't know you was like that. Those of you been married, are married, want to be married? <laughs> it's just good, I'll say that. I'll leave it at that. How strong is your foundation? Because you think the enemy's going to be okay with people getting saved? People telling people about Jesus? People sharing their testimony? People being bold and praying for people? People being bold and giving stuff to people? Hey, I'll meet that need. Here you go. I've got it. God's blessed me. Here you go. I'll take care of it for you. You think the enemy is cool with that kind of stuff? You think the enemy is cool when when we stand up for what's right in a time when it's not popular to do so? foundation. How strong is your old gate? Is it strong enough to withstand fire? Is it strong enough to withstand war? Is it strong enough to withstand battles? See, that gate is still around. That gate still around, and there's a reason, spiritually speaking, it there's a gap, there's a link between the old gate and the valley gate, because We'll get into this next time. If you come back, you go through valleys. But if you're ever going to get through valleys, you got to have the old godly way solid in your life. Meaning you got to be willing to do the stuff in this Bible when your flesh doesn't want to do it. forgive those who wrong you? I'll just pretend I didn't read that one today. Uh, Pray for those who persecute you. No, that can't be right. God, smite them down, almighty smiter. Y'all going to get me going into the valley gate and I don't have time to go in no valley gate today. It's 12, it's noon, we got to get out of here. So come back, tune in for episode two. I'll leave you hanging on the good stuff. Let me just end with this on the old gate. Hebrews 13. The writer says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then he says, don't get attracted to all the new ideas and doctrines that people come out with. He didn't say it like that. That's how I said it. That's what he's saying in verse 9. Look it up. Hebrews 13, 9. Don't get attracted with all of the new ideas, philosophies, doctrines that come out. Right before that, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Here's the deal. God's Word does not change. What is there is there. There ain't no new Bibles coming out. I know there's new translations. There's even things to think about there, but you got to know what His holy bible is about because here's the deal we live in a day and time and we have for quite some time where new philosophies ideas and doctrines that people humanistically bring out on this planet and they say there's other ways to God not through Jesus Christ obviously right you know about that there's all these other thoughts and ideas that here here's here's what it is societies of this world Look for ways to change truth to make it acceptable to their desires. That's what people do today. People look for ways to change the truth to make it acceptable to what they want. And they are good at it. Clever, oh goodness, so clever at it. Right? Why you gotta have the old godly ways. It ain't old fashioned to not have sex till you get married. No condemnation. The reality is this there's a better way, there is a much better way. having the old godly way, it's not old fashioned, oh man you don't want to have no fun fuddy duddy God's a fun sucker making sure you pay attention no he's not John 10 10, I am the gate and he says this, John 10 10 I'll give you abundant life God's a life giver friend God is a life giver. You get man involved, humans involved, we screw it up. We make our mistakes. But clear all the rubble like Nehemiah did. Clear all that rubble out. What's still around? What's still tried and true? What's hung in there? What's proven itself? Oh, come on, what hasn't been destroyed? What can't be taken out? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never be defeated. Death couldn't stop Him. Hell couldn't keep Him. Grave, The grave couldn't contain Him. No. And heaven can't wait to send Him back to reclaim what is His. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all Get to heaven. I want to make it. I want you to make it. And here's the deal. I want people who have hurt me to make it. I want people who have gotten on my nerves to make it. Because Lord knows I have hurt people too. We are to be repairers and rebuilders. First here, first right here, come on, first right here, come on, first right here. We need to be repairers and rebuilders first right here. If we ever want to see revival, we ever want to see God save the world, we ever want to see greater things happen in our world, in our society, church, it starts right here. In fact, that's what revival is. The church being revived. All these re-words in this story. Re- remnant, repair, rebuild, revive, refresh. God doing a work right here I'll be the first to tell you I need more I need him to work I even need him to work where I don't want him to work that's where I know I know I need him to work right let's stand if you're able to stand